Welcome to Seismic Sound Off, exploring the depth and usefulness of geophysics for the scientific community and the public. I'm your host, Andrew Gary. In this unique episode, Diana Saniva and Stephen Brown highlight the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 from the United States and why it's important to incentivize and fund energy efficiency policies. They offer a distinctive perspective on pursuing energy independence and how businesses and consumers can utilize energy inefficiency for their benefit. Also, Diana provides a path for geophysicists to thrive in any future energy environment. This episode explores cutting edge policy and research to offer a novel perspective on topics that will impact the world for generations. Diana Suniva is an energy transition advocate with formal training in the renewable energy field, supporting sustainable and energy efficient models for transformation. Stephen founded Capital Assets Energy LLC, a successful clean energy development consulting firm that specializes in financing retrofits of commercial, nonprofit, and multifamily properties with energy efficiency and renewable energy improvements. To read their complete biographies, visit seg.org slash podcast or check out the episode show notes. And now, my conversation with Diana and Stephen. I'm with Diana and Stephen today. We are talking about energy efficiency incentives and policies. I kind of start with a holistic view of this. Why is it important to incentivize and fund energy efficiency policies? Yeah, thank you, Andrew. First of all, I'm very happy to be back uh, to this uh, to this session. To the question why it is important to incentivize, there are a couple of things there, I think. First of all, we talked about this last time, uh, 40% of all energy uh, converted to electricity, so all energy ready to use, is being wasted today. And it's being wasted through different behaviors, through faulty installations, through equipment inefficiency, and through many, many other things. So incentivizing energy efficiency brings a very important uh, gain to the society, to the companies, to uh, industries. First of all, we can do more with less. And uh, second, we can reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. We can reduce the CO2 emissions without very hefty investments. However, to get there and to understand what is important and how it can be done, government incentives and um, uh, policies needs to be in place. In addition to what Diana said, I think, you know, obviously cutting carbon pollution is a big reason to focus in on energy efficiency. From what I've read, we could cut somewhere near 500 million metric tons of carbon pollution a year by 2050 if we were to implement a number of different uh, energy efficiency strategies. But some of the other benefits of, of you know, really focusing on energy efficiency is that, one, you have the ability to create jobs, right? And so, you know, making uh, inefficient building stock that, that exists right now and throughout the country and then transforming it into uh, energy efficient buildings, offices, commercial space, um, homes, apartments, you name it, nonprofits, you know, it will, will require people to do that. And, and, you know, there are a lot of trades that are training folks to be able to, to be a part of this um, new energy efficient economy. 
Uh, and so, you know, I've read maybe some 2 million jobs can be created just by making, um, you know, just by helping to usher in, usher in energy efficiency, which, you know, by far, you know, overshadows whatever job opportunities um, might be in any of the fossil fuel related industries, right? And so I think there's a future in job creation and through that economic development uh, for many communities. But the other part is that because you're using uh, less less power to get the same result, right? The the light still comes on, except you're using you, 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 you're being more efficient uh, about you know how much power is needed to turn that light on. In doing so, you're also allowing for people to lower their bills. And so, as we look at inflation and some of these inflationary pressures that are impacting the globe, energy inflation is a big part of it. And it's not something that's talked about much. And so considering that you have an opportunity to make someone's home more efficient or someone's apartment more more efficient, not only um, have you created jobs and cut, you know, pollution, carbon pollution, but but you've also allowed that that homeowner, that family to keep more money in their pockets. And so, you know, it's it's actually a cash flow positive, you know, opportunity for a lot of families. And they can in turn use that money, um, whether it's for transportation or healthcare or groceries or savings. And so you, you just create, you know, a whole new paradigm um, from an economic development standpoint as it relates to jobs and family cash flow that I think is important to state as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about energy inflation being a part of, of that. And speaking of inflation in the United States, legislation was recently passed that they had called the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. How does this act encourage businesses to address their energy efficiency, this 40% number that's, that's being lost? So think about this. So Stephen, Stephen touched on a, on a payback period, right? Think about this. If you do study today on a replacement of energy source, for example, if you want to put um, uh, photovoltaic panels on top of your roof and you are somewhere in the north of the uh, United States, today that, sim- that simple installation uh, will pay off in 15 years, uh, which is almost impossible to commit, right? And uh, there we are talking about there is some tax incentives in New England, for example. This is, this is a place where I've done this project. There is a tax incentive. There is a um, net metering. So there are some... Oh, th- this project, by the way, was done before the Inflation Reduction Act. So today's situation may change. But before that, 15 years of payback period, this is something impossible for any homeowner to comprehend. Further, if you implement energy efficiency procedure best practices uh, that will require also some investment but not very happy, you can uh, cut that payback period to seven years, which is more than half. And that already includes the investment that you need to do to insulation and uh, some equipment change. So you can see how energy efficiency for simple homeowners can reduce this payback period to seven years. However, even seven years, it's a very long horizon for a, for a regular homeowner because I was reading the statistics, there is about four to five years 
of this uh, relocation uh, period where people will live at the same house and relocate uh, on average. Of course, some places use longer, but on average is, is about five years in the United States. So talking about investing a significant amount of money that will pay back even in seven years is kind of very long horizon. So having this uh, incentives and hoping that we can bring this back to three to four years will actually make a huge impact and reduce this anxiety of making big investment in this uh, financial environment we are, it will actually make it possible for people to consider this kind of uh, uh, this kind of incentives. And this was the example that I brought to you is just about the regular homeowners or residential sector. Think about industry. There are completely different timings there because the investment would be much bigger. But then also, the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act will be significant as well. And I'll let Stephen elaborate on that. Uh, yeah, that's right. And, you know, so in addition to what Diana mentioned, you know, in terms of the payback, you know, you look at the reasons why is because of, you know, the rebates and tax credits that are built into the into the policy. There are a number of uh, consumer home energy rebate, rebate programs, I think that total in um, like $9 billion dollars. Uh, worth the funding that's available for those types of rebates. There's uh, a number of tax credits um, that consumers uh, will be will be eligible for. Um, there are grant programs, about a billion dollars in grant programming um, for affordable housing to make affordable housing more energy efficient. You know, it, it, it's it's really a you know once in a lifetime piece of of legislation, piece of public policy that. You know, we should look back five, ten years later down the road and and use that as kind of the critical juncture for when America really began to make strides in facilitating this emerging clean energy economy. And I think that what you're going to find is that, you know, in addition to the things we talked about, you know, all the other benefits um, from reducing energy inflation, creating cash flow for families and businesses, uh, reducing or, or abating carbon emissions. I think the other byproduct that all of this um, will serve to offer that doesn't get talked about nearly enough is energy independence. You know, too often we've allowed, we've allowed oil and gas to define what energy independence means. Energy independence doesn't mean that you're drilling more locally or domestically. Energy independence means you don't need as much energy anymore, right? And so the very reason reason why energy efficiency is important and why energy efficiency should be what connotates energy independence is because you're literally not, you're not requiring to drill anywhere anymore as much as you once were, because you don't need as much to get the same power, right? And so I think that, that that's something that's so important in terms of our geopolitical frameworks and challenges is that, you know, these rebate programs, these tax credits um, that are built into this legislation actually builds us, it directs us along the path of true energy independence. 
you know, the United States certainly has a, a very large economy and footprint when it comes to the energy industry, but it's a global sector. The SEG membership is global as well. What lessons can other countries take from this legislation that was passed in the United States that you would like to see them at least consider? So if, if you study uh, the map of uh, renewable energy production globally, you can still see that it is very uh, spotty. If, if you plot, plot this on a map, it's very spotty. One can say this is because of resources availability. There are different resources. Some of them are more or less efficient in terms of production or electricity generation. But primarily, this is because some countries, for a couple of decades now, actually, are incentivizing uh, alternative energy productions, right? And those countries are not necessarily the countries that need that energy the most. Uh, those countries are, are those who have long-term perspective, who have resources and understanding what needs to be done. I think it's great to see uh, how United States pick up this way of incentivizing uh, alternative energy production, alternative sources, um, renewable sources, and energy efficiency uh, practices, because it also shows how it, it can show how how it can be done, how it is possible. But the good thing is this, this program also capitalized on what is already done. Because relatively speaking, we are in a new territory. Even if we talk about decade or decade and a half where this transition started and some countries like European countries are a little bit, but are implementing these policies for about since 2011, maybe 12, right? It is a learning curve. And when you are the head starter, you do a lot of mistakes. There are a lot of misallocated incentives or policies are not working as you intended. So today, I think there's a good understanding of how things should be done and what things are working and what are not. And the Inflation Reduction Act addressed most of the things that should be considered. So I guess those countries that are uh, looking to pick up this kind of policies and incentives they can they can get this document, analyze it, understand it, and adapt it to their reality. I think I think this is a great uh, starting point. Yeah, so I, I totally agree with with everything Diana said. Um, I think that first thing is that you know you look at Egypt and a COP, um, the last COP that was in Egypt, you could see where uh, the United States could go into those those global climate discussions. With with a sense of you know um, more purpose, a little bit more high, higher ground, and that you know uh, we we kind of put our actions uh, behind our words and and made made the commitment uh, in the IRA that demonstrates to the world you know our our seriousness in this and our uh, ability now to influence others to do the same and so to kind of take a look at our frameworks and and to build on that I know that there's still a lot more to be done. Uh, around how we invest in the uh, emerging economies in a way that provides them the ability to have resources for uh, renewables, energy efficiency, and, uh, and all those other things to adapt to to the warming climate that was caused by American and other uh, industrialized nations. So that still needs to be done separately. But as it relates to the breakthroughs and, and the Inflation Reduction Act and being able to now on a global stage, you know, discuss that with our 
uh, chest out and, and 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 shoulders back with a little bit more authority, uh, and 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 talking to others about you know what they can do now to fill voids there. But the second piece of that is that uh, again in the Inflation Reduction Act, you've created more incentive for domestic manufacturing of energy efficient appliances, right? And so. Now we can begin to turn up the volume on America's manufacturing prowess as relates to things like heat pumps, for instance, right? And so as we speed up production of these types of measures that can be used domestically and it can be exported um, internationally as well, um, you'll find that the accessibility and the adoption rate from consumers on putting heat pumps in their homes, for instance, um, will increase as well, right? And so I think it's important for us to also understand how the incentives in the IRA as they relate to domestic manufacturing, and that will allow for mass adoption of energy efficient appliances that are made in America is a benefit, kind of a win-win scenario. You know, again, we've created jobs. We have a competitive, a competitive advantage now in manufacturing of energy-efficient appliances. And then two, we get to install those appliances into homes and businesses and, and churches and school buildings uh, so that they can reduce their carbon uh, emissions uh, as well. So again, there's a win-win scenario there, but but it, it all just kind of comes back together in, in a way that I think, you know, as we look back five years, 10 years from now, we'll see how, how this was, you know, really a remarkable moment for the United States. You know, Diana, you talked about how kind of new a lot of these policies are. I mean, if, you know, we're talking 10, 15 years, these things have been going on. So really, you know, a geoscientist might be just kind of catching up or really we're kind of in the first wave of what that means uh, being in this more energy efficiency environment, what kind of recommendations would you have for a geoscientist interested in exploring this more? What's a good first step for them to start working on this realm of energy efficiency? Andrew, this is a this is a great point because geoscientists, by definition, we are prone to optimize everything we are doing, especially those of us who work in exploration which is uh, the biggest cost center for uh, oil and gas companies. So we are always scrutinized by how much we spend, how do we spend it, whether it's spent good or not, right? So this is in our like blood. It's running in our veins to optimize and make everything more efficient. What should happen today is understanding how we implement the same principles, not only to our job or what we are doing, but also into our life, right? We need this little translation from, from something that we are doing at home into our lives and into our way of thinking. Stephen touched today the opportunities in, a, in the job market. And what I also see is this Inflation Reduction Act made possible for many startups to, to actually implement their, their ideas today. You can see, if you just watch the Greentown Labs, how many startups they have around energy efficiency. They are still uh, working on specific problems, like it can be HVAC, it can be insulation, it can be new materials, but there are, uh, there is a boom of uh, companies that are thinking about energy efficiency. And for geoscientists, 
I think it's a great opportunity and and uh, in a sort, if I can say this, way out from conventional oil and gas. We always think that we, I mean, geophysicists, we always think that we are very specialized. Uh, we are very good at what we do, but that thing that we know how to do may not be important anymore. But if you get away from the words and into understanding that geophysicists are great with databases, geophysicists are great seeing the situation, analyzing it and making good decisions with big uncertainties. We understand how to work databases. We understand how the data need to be prepared and how the data need to be analyzed for absolutely anything in the world. It's applicable across the industries. So if we just get out of our very specific uh, terminology and think in more general terms, out of those 2 million jobs, many can be uh, taken by geophysicists and geoscientists in general, simply because we understand how to work with this data, how to optimize this data, and how to implement uh, all, the, all that knowledge that we have in modeling, in uh, predictions, in neural network, and et cetera, in this new world of new energy production. I mean, it's still energy, right? Yeah, geophysicists excel at working with the unknown. So it's just a, a new way to apply that skill set. And this is a, a huge topic overall. You know, this is the second episode on energy efficiency, but we've, you know, been talking about carbon sequestration in several episodes now. This is a huge topic that we unfortunately could talk for hours, but we don't have that much time. Stephen, I'll, I'll start with you and then we'll go to Diana. You know, what would you like to leave the listeners with on on this, on energy efficiency incentives funding that you would just like them to kind of consider and, and take away from this conversation? We'll start with you, Stephen. Yeah, I think that we really need to, as a country and, and those of us who are working to try to make carbon emission reductions throughout the country and the globe, you know, I just think that we need to elevate how uh, the role that energy efficiency plays in that, you know, kind of paradigm change. Because, you know, oftentimes we, we spend, and, and rightfully so, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot to be said about um, renewables and EVs and, and all of that stuff as it relates to their role in, in abating emissions. But energy efficiency also is very important. And then I would also add that, you know, when we discuss energy efficiency, I'm not necessarily saying that we, you know, go from a, from a gas-powered heater uh, or a boiler to a slightly less gas-powered boiler, I'm saying that, that we we look to electrify, you know, our heating needs in our homes, right? And so I think this is really and truly a way for us to wean ourselves off of fossil fuels um, because, as, you know, as, as Diana mentioned earlier, I think the world had kind of a shock to its system uh, as a result of Russia's invasion uh, of Ukraine, and so when countries decided to 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 stop, you know, importing from from Russia, I think that did something phenomenal. You know, not only, you know, the bad news is that that meant that, that they had to figure something out, but the good news is that I think they figured out that they need to accelerate the clean energy and energy efficiency faster. And so like heat pumps, for instance, like I mentioned before, I think the adoption of heat pumps in different parts of Europe has actually sped up because of 
what's happened with Russia and Ukraine. And and as a result of that, you know, yes, there's there's still European countries that are looking to uh, import American gas to 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 serve its needs. But I think they see that as a short term fix for, you know, what the role, the true solution is, is to not have to depend on anybody's gas, right? To heat their homes and their water or what have you. And so I, I just think that we are, you know, we need to embrace the role that energy efficiency plays in this framework of company missions and that we, we look for opportunities to expand access to communities that otherwise would lack the resources to be able to become early adapters here. And I think that that's something that definitely needs to be a part of the conversation, not only how we transition to a more energy efficient world, but how we do so in a just and equitable way. Yeah, those are, those are fantastic words, uh, Stephen. I couldn't agree more. Uh, the only thing I would just add is very often when you talk to, to managers, to executives, they separate the issue of CO2 emissions or greenhouse gas emissions uh, with energy efficiency. They view this as a two different problems, whereas in fact, it's a one single thing. Energy or in, energy efficiency, or better say, increasing energy efficiency inevitably impact the CO2 emissions, the greenhouse gas emissions, right? So if there is one thing I could add, I would just say, let's see this energy transition as a one whole and use energy efficiency as a tool to achieve what we want to achieve instead of separating it and creating different departments and treating it as something, okay, let's do this as well. You know, this is a component, a very important component of this energy transition. And the only thing that will help us realize this transition sustainably. I think that is a great uh, place to leave it there, Diana. Thank you for joining us for a second time. Stephen, thanks for coming on to talk about this important topic. And there'll probably be more on this topic in in the future. So thanks for uh, outlining us so clearly and so well today. Thank you for having us, uh, Andrew. This is always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you as well. Appreciate it. You reached the end of Seismic Sound Off. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to be the first to know about the next episode, please follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Two of my favorites are Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you have episode ideas, feedback for the show, or want to sponsor a future episode, visit seg.org podcast and find the box titled Contact Seismic Sound Off. Zach Bridges created original music for this show. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary at Treasurement. The SEG podcast team is Jennifer Cobb, Kathy Gamble, and Ali McGinnis. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.